Jesus, 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 there's just something about that Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. King. 
Good morning. We're certainly glad you're here this morning at the West Irwin Church of Christ. Whether in person or online, we welcome you here. And we know that you'll be blessed by the service and uh, your being here this morning. We know that uh, God is blessed by our presence as well. Uh, I do have a couple of, of announcements to make. Uh, funeral for uh, Gary Elrod will be this uh, Monday, which is tomorrow here at West Irwin at 10 a.m. Also, services for Derek Alvey's mother, Laura, will be Wednesday at 10 a.m. at Stewart Family Funeral Home. Visitation will be there on Tuesday, 5 to 7 p.m. And also, I got an update just now on Eli Hodges. That's the Wicks' grandson. Uh, they are going to extubate this tube, which means take it out, and I think that's something that they were hoping for, so... Uh, we're going to continue to pray for him and that family and that his health will continue to hopefully improve. Uh, you know, there's a lot happening here at Wester. When we had a group go to New Orleans this past week for a VBS that we used to do yearly, we skipped last year, of course, due to COVID, but uh, that's something that we're involved with and we want to certainly pray for those kids down in New Orleans as well as all our kids. Uh, we love them. And uh, those that went down, we thank you. Uh, it's, it's a rewarding task, but not an easy task. I'll put it the way, that way, because I've been. Uh, does anybody have stress in their lives? Well, well, I do, and, and, and a lot of times I bring it upon myself. I mean, I'm the type of person who I, I have to stay busy. Uh, what I'm going to do that day, whether I'm off or at work, you know, I, I have a plan of what I want to get done, and if I don't get it all done, I kind of get frustrated. And I was... Uh, at our gentleman's house, and he had a caricature, and it was an older man. I'm just going to say older man. That was sitting in a, you know, like a lounge chair, and he was just kind of laid out. And his hat, his baseball cap was on crooked, and he was sweating and tired. A lot more was behind him. And the caption under it, and don't take this as being sacrilegious, please. But it said, even God didn't get it done in one day. And and I thought about that, and I kind of got a little bit frustrated and he and he turned around and he saw that I was looking at he said but he could have so uh, you know there's enough stress in this life without us bringing it upon ourselves and I'm I'm number one in, in, in having that so uh, God is in control always will be and we need to realize that I'd like to read from first Thessalonians first Thessalonians 5 uh, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us grace when we fall short. Thank you for Jesus who was crucified on the cross for our sins. Help us to allow you to control what's happening in our lives. Help us to use trying times to grow closer to you through scripture, prayer, and faith. Give us courage when we are afraid and peace when we are distressed. We thank you for West Irwin and for each and every soul that is part of this church. You have blessed us with various talents, with those that are able to use those with our works here at West Irwin, and that's what makes us a family. We are so thankful for our 
recent new members that have joined this church to be part of West Irwin, we ask that they uh, are plugged in in whatever need that, that what they have or we need. And it's all for the glory for you. We're thankful that we have a church family to share our victories as well as our failures. We pray for the lost, for those who don't recognize you as the true and living God. Give us the determination to reach out to them and to lead them to Christ. We lift up those who are in our family or who are in need of prayer, for healing and strength, for encouragement and peace for those who are grieving. We pray for peace and comfort for the Elrod family, the Alvey family, the Skipper family, the Stauffer family, the Pickle family, and Anna Chandler and her family loss of her grandfather. We ask a special blessing for Eli Hodges. Father, please strengthen his heart, give him the rest and healing and give him peace give peace to the Wicks and the Hodges families during this time of concern. Help us to appreciate each day and make the most of it in helping someone in some way. We love you and we want to go to heaven. We thank you so much for Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen. And by the way, if you don't know Gary Elrod or are not familiar with him, I wanted to say this at the first. Read his obituary and that's just a tiny speck of his life, but it's very uh, moving. Thank you. To prepare our minds for taking the Lord's Supper, let's sing, Break Thou the Bread of Life. Break Thou the Bread of Life, I love to go back home. I love to go back and see the old home place. And I go back when I can. It's been a while since I've been there. The last time I went back, the old house is not what it used to be. The fence around it 
It's not like it was. And the house is not as big as I remember when I was growing up. But about 40 yards out in the pasture there is a barn, an old barn. I've got to tell you about that barn. My dad built that barn when I was a little bitty youngster. My two brothers helped him. Two men in our little community helped him. And I remember watching my dad build that barn. My dad could do everything. He was amazing. But he built that barn and he would show me what he was doing. Of course, I was too little to really understand. But yet, he said, this barn has to have a strong foundation so it can stand for a long time. And not long ago when I drove by, there was that old barn still standing there. Now the corral wasn't out in front of it, and I don't know if the stalls were in it where we delivered some calves and we stored the hay and we had a good time in that barn. And I think about that barn and that foundation. And I think about my mom and my dad and the foundation they gave me in growing up. The foundation of going to church, of reading the Bible, of praying, knowing what being a Christian was all about. And I think about my wife and how strong a Christian she is. And I think about Ernestine and Stan Mallory and how they were the foundation for her family. Great, great foundation. I hope that I have been a great foundation for my children and my grandchildren. And someday, they will be great foundations for their children when it comes to our God and our Savior. Matthew 7, 25, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, says, the house did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. From 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, tells us Jesus himself is the true rock, the sure foundation. He lived the life of perfection that we cannot live, and he gave us the life, his life, so that we can live. Because he took our own punishment, we can build our lives, our foundation, on Jesus and be assured of eternal life through our Christ. Now we have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. To me, each Sunday morning, that's the greatest foundation. Would you pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this time, for this opportunity to go through the Lord's Supper, to take this bread that represents the body of our Savior. His body that he gave for us so that we may have eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
Please pray with me. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this opportunity. This opportunity to drink from this cup. This cup that represents the blood of my Jesus, of my Savior, who gave his life, who gave his blood for me and for all of us to give us eternal life. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Now we have this time to give back, to give back to our God, to our Savior, all the things that has been given to us. And this money that we have a chance and an opportunity to give back, to carry on everything that our Lord wants. It's a special time. And I know it's a little bit different now. We don't pass the plate. I miss that. I really, really miss that. So take this opportunity, however you may, present your, your money, and take that advantage, that opportunity to do that for the grace of our God, for the grace of our Savior. Please pray with me. Thank you, God, again for this precious day, for this precious church, for these people here, these people that are watching at home. Just bless us all, dear God, as we give back. Give back to you. Give back to this church. The opportunity that we have, and we do it in our love for you. Oh, I am so blessed. We are so blessed. This church is so blessed. And I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing while our kids come up for kids' time today. Jesus, I love my Jesus. Jesus in the morning, Jesus at the noontime. Jesus, I love my Jesus, Jesus when the sun goes down. Praise him, I'm gonna praise him, praise him in the morning, praise him at the noontime. Praise him, I'm gonna praise him, praise him when the sun goes down. Love him, I'm gonna love him, love him in the morning, love him at the noontime. Love him, I'm gonna love him, love him when the sun goes down. Tell me, what do you see out that way? What do you see? People? Church pews, things like that? Well, let's think about the people there. Are there a lot of people out there or not very many? A lot. A lot, okay. I think there are a lot. How many do you think? Who's got an idea about how many are sitting out there today? How many do you think? 
A thousand. I love you so much. A thousand. What about you? Seventy-three. Okay, that's a good guess. I think somewhere in between there we might be right. Ninety. Okay. Ninety. So. A hundred. So we have a thousand seventy-three, ninety, and a hundred. One thousand. That's two votes for a thousand. I think we might go with that. A million hundred thousand. Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, have one more. Maybe two hundred. Okay, somewhere in there is. Those are all good guesses. They're actually kind of in the neighborhood somewhat. Um, you know, when Jesus was alive. He was walking around everywhere and he was talking to people and sometimes he would just talk to one person at a time or maybe just a couple of people. But there were also a few times when he had a big crowd of people uh, like a thousand or more uh, that we've talked about and he would talk to them about his father's will, about what God wants of all of us. Now we're going to be talking about several of those times today when Jesus actually was in front of a large crowd of people, even more than we have here today, even more than that thousand that was one of those guesses. A couple of those times, he had several thousand people there and he gave them something to eat. He fed them. At other times, there were some things that he taught them. At other times, they were trying to do something to Jesus that he didn't really want to have done. And finally, when he died on the cross, there was a crowd of people there. And you know, nobody stopped that. But God the Father could have. Jesus could have. But he didn't because he loved us so much. And even though that crowd of people was being very mean to him and were saying mean things, Jesus loved them too. And that's why we've been singing this morning about Jesus, and that's why in our sermon time and in our children's worship time, we're going to be talking about Jesus too, okay? So let's sing one more verse about Jesus as you go to children's worship or back to your pew. Jesus, I love my Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at the noontime. Jesus, I love my Jesus, Jesus when the sun goes down. Brother, if I find it convenient, would you please stand while we sing the song before the lesson, Won't It Be Wonderful There? Let's sing together. When with the Savior we enter the glory, let it be wonderful there.
We've been looking in this series of Jesus and the people he interacted with. We've been looking at some of the interactions our Lord had mostly with individuals. Maybe it was just one person, the woman at the well or Nicodemus. Maybe it was just one family or just a group such as his apostles. So we've been looking at mostly individuals and their reactions with Jesus until today. Today, we look at some moments when Jesus faced a crowd. We forget sometimes that that happened because so much of scripture is Jesus interacting with individuals, with just a few. And so I don't think that we have quite a million, a hundred thousand here today. Maybe if we count our wonderful friends online, a little closer, but we've had quite a crowd and we've been building those numbers up through the weeks and over the last several months and we appreciate everyone being a part of that and we appreciate those who continue to connect with us and worship with us uh, online. That's a, that's a great, great blessing. Uh, every so often, like today, we have a visitor or two that, that uh, is here because they have actually been able to worship with us on, online and now are able to worship with us in person. And that's a great, great blessing. Uh, We appreciate that so much. Jesus, of course, didn't have the wonders of the internet. Uh, Thanks to Terry and to the crew, we were able to see the faces uh, of the kids when they come up for kids' time like we did today. That's a real real blessing. Uh, And of course, Jesus in the first century didn't have that, and yet he stood before crowds of people at times including, as I said earlier, several thousand. So today I want us to consider these times of interaction that Jesus had with the crowds. And as you're sitting there, hopefully you're already thinking of a few of those. Some of those come to mind pretty easily, like these first ones that we'll look at. But then I want us to look at a few others maybe that you're not quite so familiar with. Jesus faced a crowd, and whenever he did, he ministered to them. And he found them in all kinds of situations and settings. Jesus faced crowds of people, first of all, when they were hungry. When they were hungry. There are a few instances of that in the Gospels. We read one of them in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near, which means there were a lot of people there. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, What shall we buy? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather 
the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. We read of another incident here where in Matthew 15 and in other places where Jesus also fed a multitude of of people. 4,000 men in that case, seven loaves of bread, a few small fish. In this case, Andrew, who brought Peter to Jesus, as we know, Andrew says to Jesus, well, there's a little boy here with his lunch. (laughs) And he's got five loaves, small barley loaves, and two small fish, but there are thousands here. What is that with so many? Well, again, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was trying to help the disciples grow a little bit in this process. And so he tells them all to sit down in groups and he prays and he thanks the Lord and he begins to separate the, the food up and miraculously, there's no physical, logical explanation, miraculously, the people have more than enough and even leftovers as well. Much more than what they started with. Well, when Jesus saw this crowd, he saw that they were hungry and so he fed them. He fed them, but not just physical feeding. In verses 25 and following in John 6, Jesus applies the lesson. And in verse 35 of John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. So as he gave them physical bread to sustain their physical lives, he says, I am the bread of life. When Jesus interacted with the crowd, sometimes they were hungry. And so he miraculously fed him, fed them. Why, why did he use that boy's lunch? Well, I think it's similar, David, to what you shared about uh, that uh, moment of creation, that, that God could have done it, certainly could have done it at one time, but instead he didn't accomplish everything in one day, and I love that story. And along with that, he also had a seventh day where he rested. He didn't have to do that either. But he did it because we needed him to do it. That way. And in the same way as Jesus feeds these multitudes, he takes what's there. He could have done it any other way. He could have just automatically made them feel like they were no longer hungry. But instead, he fed them. Another time when Jesus faced a crowd was when they wanted to make him king. This incident in John 6 is pretty impressive. Uh, We would have loved to have been there. But the ones who were there, they were impressed. And initially, they wanted to make him king. John 6, verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When Jesus encounters the crowd and and what they want to do is make him king and it's not time and it's not the right way, Jesus slips through and he won't let them do it. You know, it's kind of a similar um, temptation for Jesus here as what Satan initially offered him during those temptations in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 when he said, hey, 
jump off the highest point of the temple and when people see the angels deliver you there, they'll worship you. But that's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted our hearts. He wanted us to believe in him. He wanted us to trust him. He wanted to be our savior. Not just the king. He could have done it that way. And as we'll see in a little bit, when they challenged him while he was on the cross and they said, hey, come down from the cross right now and what? We'll believe you. He could have done it that way. And he would have been the king, but he wouldn't have been the savior. To be the savior, he had to shed his blood. And so when they wanted to make him king, Jesus worked his way through the crowd and refused to allow it. Well, there's the other side of that coin. Jesus not only encountered crowds when they wanted to make him king, he also encountered crowds when they wanted to kill him. And Luke chapter 4 is one of those great passages where Jesus interacts with people, and, and this is in his hometown. And as he's interacting with them and and talking with them, he shares with them that great lesson from the prophet Isaiah and how it's fulfilled in Jesus' time and through his life and ministry. Quoting from Isaiah 61, and, and so then the people are all impressed, but he challenges them because he knows that their faith is just in the things that they see. And so Jesus challenges them and confronts them in a way that they are not comfortable with, even in his own hometown. Well, how would they respond? Well, Luke 4 verses 28 through 30 tells us, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard Jesus. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, it's really interesting to me that when they want to make him king and when they want to kill him, (laughs) Jesus' response to the crowds is the same. He just kind of walks right through them and is, I think, in some way or another, miraculously separated from them. We see another example of this in the Gospel of John in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is interacting a lot with the Jews and with the Jewish leaders. And and they keep going back and forth and back and forth. And they keep uh, pestering him about where he's from and and who his father is and and how how can these things be true. And is he greater than Abraham? And as Jesus interacts with them, I think they're getting madder and madder and madder because Jesus refuses to budge on his identity and upon his place. And so in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 54, Jesus said, If I glorify myself, John 8, 54, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. He had called them liars, and he called them not children of Abraham, not children of God, but children of the devil, because the devil is the father of lies, was a liar from the beginning. And now he says, if I said I didn't know the father, I'd be a liar just like you. You say you know him, but 
you don't. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham lived 2,000 years before this time. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So he claims to be greater than the greatest in their history, Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of the faithful. He claims to be eternal. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. But more than that, he claimed to be God. Before Abraham was born, I am. It's not maybe correct grammar, but we remember that when Moses encountered God at the burning bush and he, one of his excuses was, look, I don't even know your name. What if they ask me your name? What will I tell them? God said, I am. Existence. I am that I am. I am the great I am. And Jesus, several times in the Gospel of John, as you know, has an I am statement, such as, I am the bread of life that we looked at earlier. This is one of those, except there's no object. Jesus takes that sacred name of God, so sacred that the Jews wouldn't even pronounce it. And not only does he pronounce it, he takes it for himself. Before Abraham was born, I am. In another place he had said, unless you believe that I am, and then you add the he, that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. And so it's no wonder that they picked up stones to kill him in verse 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But again, Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Why would he do that? Didn't he come to give his life? Well, yes, but not at that moment, not in that way. That time would come, but it wasn't that time. So when the crowds were hungry, Jesus fed them. I am the bread of life. When the crowds wanted to make him king, he said, not just yet, and he went through them. And escaped. When they wanted to kill him, Jesus would not let it happen. Well, what about when they wanted to worship him? When they wanted to worship him. And Luke chapter 19 is perhaps one of the great examples of that. We see it also in Matthew chapter 21. This triumphant entry that Jesus makes into Jerusalem. Days before he will be killed. At this moment, the crowds want to worship him. In Luke 19, Jesus sets the stage and has the disciples find that cult. And and as he's going in, the people react with worship. In verse 35 of Luke 19, they brought the cult to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. 
As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Matthew 21 says some of them cut branches off and laid it down before him. Like even the cult that Jesus was riding was too wonderful and too great and too holy to have its feet touch the ground. And so we call that day Palm Sunday. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the the road goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And we're almost kind of expecting him to do it. He wouldn't let them make him king earlier. In verse 40, I tell you, Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If the people don't worship... The rocks will cry out. The inanimate objects. This is a moment of worship. This is a moment of praise. And Jesus did not turn it down. And that's unusual. In fact, it's unique in scripture. We see so many other times when someone tried to worship someone. Paul and Barnabas had to turn down worship on their mission journey. Paul and Silas did the same. John, when he received the revelation, wanted to worship the angel that had brought it all around and had guided him through, and the angel wouldn't let him. And yet here, Jesus gladly accepts their worship. Why? Because he's the son of God and no one else is. Because Jesus is worthy of being worshiped. There's just something about that name, as we say. Let all heaven and earth proclaim the name of Jesus. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just something about that name, Jesus. There's something different about Jesus. And in this case, When the crowds wanted to worship him, Jesus said, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one more. Number five, Jesus interacted with the crowds even when they wanted to crucify him. Of course, the gospel writers all tell the story. We'll turn to Luke's account in Luke chapter 23. As Jesus is betrayed by Judas, as he is denied by Peter and forsaken by all of the disciples, he's taken and he's tried and he's pronounced to be guilty by the Jewish leadership. And we'll speak about them in an upcoming lesson. He is pronounced guilty by the governor, Pontius Pilate, even though, as we'll see, he wanted to let him go because he knew he was innocent. Ultimately, however, he pronounces guilt and sentences him to die on the cross. 
But we read this in Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 18. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. You see, this could have been Pilate's out. That's what he wanted. Because during the Passover time, uh, the governor would release one of their prisoners just as a, as a motion of goodwill, a PR with the cameras rolling, somebody would be released. And so Pilate says, hey, I've got the perfect one, this Jesus. I know he's been delivered here on trumped up charges. I know he's innocent. How about if I release him? And they say, no, 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 Barabbas. What about this Barabbas? Well, scripture tells us that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And if there's anyone that Pilate should not have released, it would have been Barabbas. He's the one that wanted to overthrow the government. He's the one that was a killer. But instead, how did the crowds react? No, 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 we don't want Barabbas. We, want, we don't want Barabbas to die. We want Barabbas to be released. As for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, they said. Verse 22, for the third time, Pilate spoke to them. Why? What what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. When they wanted to crucify him, Jesus didn't stop them. Earlier was not the time, not the way, not the moment, but this time it was. Skipping down a little bit in Luke 23 to verse 35. As Jesus was on the cross, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Verse 39 says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? And rightly so for us but not for him. And yet, when the crowd wanted to crucify him, Jesus responds with seven statements from the cross. Three of them are found in the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, first of all, Jesus responded to that faithful thief on the cross and said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. In verse 34, Jesus amazingly says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And then finally, at the end of his life, in verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. And that's what he did. He could have stopped it just as easily as he had done earlier. 
He could have gone through the crowd. He could have come down from the cross. He could have called the 12,000 legions of angels, but he never did. Why? Because he had that faithful love. This was that foundation that Danny spoke of earlier around the table. That foundation of the death of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shared, shed for us. That we celebrate and, and give thanks for as we gather with our brothers and sisters around the table. It's the kind of love that we sang about earlier. Faithful love from above came to earth to show the Father's love. And I'll never be the same, for I've seen faithful love face to face, and Jesus is his name. There's just something about that name. Because even though he could have called it off at any moment, he refused. And when they were shouting at him, when they were sneering at him, when they were crucifying him, Jesus willingly gave his life for us. When they were hungry, Jesus fed the crowd. When they wanted to make him king, he wouldn't let him. When they wanted to kill him and it wasn't the right time, he got away. When they wanted to worship him, Jesus gladly accepted it. The only one worthy of worship. And when they wanted to crucify him, they did. Jesus loved the crowds because Jesus loved the people. (laughs) He loved interacting with the one and one, but he also loved the people. John 3 tells us and reminds us, for God so loved the world, that's kind of a crowd, (laughs) that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. Because Jesus says the son didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save it. And he saved it by giving his life. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He told Zacchaeus in Luke 19, And in Matthew 20, he told them all, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Ultimately, Jesus saw the crowds and in that crowd, he saw you and he saw me. And he saw us at our worst. And he gave his life for us. Why did Jesus love the crowds? Because Jesus loved the people that he had created in his own image. He loved you. He died for you. He wants to be your savior. If we can help that happen, come as we stand. Sing our song together. Days are filled with sorrow and
Jesus, there's just something about that name. And then I'll have the closing prayer. Let's sing together. Jesus, 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 there's Jesus' holy and precious name we pray these things. Amen. You are dismissed.